the Lost at Home podcast. Here are your hosts, Scott Bear and Jeremiah Johnson. Hi, my name is Scott. And I'm Jeremiah. And we're back for episode 107. That's and right. And this is actually a really special episode. We uh, we gave no heads up or warning to our listening uh, audience, except for maybe anyone who's keen on Twitter and who has followed us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have a special guest this week. We have a surprise interview. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, it's such a surprise. We're going to roll into it very, very soon. And uh, so you don't have to wait with bated breath to find out. Bated breasts? <laughs> Did I just say bated breasts? All right. Bated breath. Thank you very much, Freudian slip, uh, to uh, to find out what, what we're doing here. But um, first, uh, first of all, uh, thanks for coming back. Thanks for, for doing another episode with us. Uh, I don't have much housekeeping on my part, Scott. I don't know if there's anything you want to bring up before we roll into this beauty. No, honestly, on a lot of weeks, we either have a sponsor to talk about or someone to shout out, but um, I think this week we're going to roll right into it. Yeah, let's just um, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, this week's guest is Lorraine Landon. You may know her name. Uh, she's been in many, many movies, including Airplane 2, The Stuff, uh, Maniac Cop 1 and 2, uh, It's Alive 3, All the Marbles, and most recently, the indie film Sky with Norman Reedus from Walking Dead. Which has been getting a lot of great uh, great reviews and stuff, which we're going to uh, no doubt talk about during the interview, of course. Uh, it so, has. There's, yeah. a, there's a great trailer for it online, too, that I would encourage anyone to go out and uh, see. But we're going to talk more about that in yep. this interview. So uh, without further ado, here is Lorene Landon. All right. Uh, welcome to the show, Lorene Landon. Glad to have you on. Well, thank you so much. I'm here, but I'm not all there. Well, um, I guess we're hoping that you're there enough to be able to answer a simple question to start off our interview. Be nice. How did you get started in film? Uh, Well, I started out as as an extra, and I worked my way down from there. No, I'm I'm being facetious. (laughs) I I started out as a... Actually, I started out when I was in second grade doing... doing plays and I knew when I was in second grade I wanted to be an actress wow that's incredible that's uh yeah it was called Christmas without Santa Claus and I wanted to play Mrs. Claus but they wouldn't let me play Mrs. Claus they made me play another role an elf okay that's what I was going to ask is what you got stuck as if it was like no you got to play a tree or something like that (laughs) no I played an elf that's good and I wanted to show the girl Ann Burkhart um that I would make something of myself later on in life when I was seven years old now, um, speaking of Airplane 2, for instance, uh, how did you mm-hmm. actually get into a movie of that caliber, uh, having started as an extra? Yeah, well, I was in, Airpl- in All the Marbles first. I was in a couple of movies before that, actually, but, but All the Marbles was the uh, A-list movie that I, that I was hired to do. They saw 2,000 girls uh, for the movie, and what they did was uh, look for wrestlers initially, uh, to play actresses, and that did not work. So Robert Aldrich, the great Robert Aldrich, uh, I don't know, I'm sure you're familiar with him, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, The Longest Yard, and on and on and on. Um, so um, they decided to try actresses, and they narrowed it down to 12 of us, and Peter Fox's wife, Shira, was one of the 12, and uh, uh, Kathleen Turner actually was one of the girls as well. Um, and when they narrowed it down to 12, uh, uh, they called us and said that uh, we've narrowed it now down to four. So they sent four of us to wrestling school eh, for about eight months. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the actor strike hit. So Vicki Frederick and myself, the other girl, continued. 
to go to wrestling school uh, illegally, really, in in the valley, and we wrestled with uh, uh, professional re- wrestlers from Mexico, um, helmed by Mildred Burke, uh, the greatest uh, female wrestler of all time. So w- what we did was, uh, instead of ignoring the uh, strike, we uh, continued to wrestle just to keep, you know, to keep up and to, to try to be uh, better and better. And uh, ultimately, it paid off. Oh, that's fascinating. I, I think it's really interesting that the writer's strike at the time was one of the main influences in, you know, pushing you forward. Oh, yeah. We weren't supposed to do it, but, uh, you know, Vicky, Vicky and I, uh, we wanted to, we still wanted to uh, wrestle. We wanted to be the best that we could possibly be. And, um, well, we, you know, we, uh, we got lucky. I got lucky. She, she was just wonderful. She was from a chorus line on Broadway, <clears throat> pardon me, and had done a lot of other uh, shows on Broadway. But uh, when we... Ultimately, what we had to do was wrestle for the heads of the studio, David Beagleman, and for uh, everybody at MGM. Eh? So um, when the four of us wrestled, there was uh, Judy Baldwin, another girl, I forget her name, Vicki Frederick, and myself, and uh, all the heads of the studio were there, um, the costume designer, Bob Mackey, everybody was there. So, so um, you know, after we were done wrestling, and I flew out of the ring, uh, quite a few times and landed in the audience. It wasn't. It was not part of the show that uh, we had rehearsed. It was just what happened. I just got thrown out of the ring by one of the uh, wrestlers, the uh, Mexican wrestler guys. So anyway, um, the funny thing is that a lot of people don't know is uh, they sent us over to Robert Aldrich's office after that. None of us knew what was going to happen. None of us. And so they made us all wait outside and they called us in uh, one by one. And Bill Aldrich was there, who was one of the co-producers, and Robert Aldrich, of course, and the other producers were all there. David Beagleman, they were all waiting inside, and and uh, they called in a couple of girls, uh, Judy Baldwin and uh, the other girl I cannot remember, Melanie something, and then they called in me, and uh, Robert Aldrich said to me, "Well, you did a really good job," and you know. I just wanted to tell you that you did a fantastic job, and and I said, and you don't want me in your movie, right? And I started <laughs> to cry and scream like an idiot. You know, I was oh. I was like 19 years old, and he said, no, I want you to play Molly. And I said, you want me in your movie? What's wrong with you? You want me in your movie? <laughs> That's how stupid I was. Oh. I mean, I was a kid, you know. Um, so he says, I want you to go out there, and you got the part of Molly, and I want you to go outside and tell, trick Vicky. Go out there and trick Vicky and tell her it looks real bad for her. Uh, <laughs> I, said, I said, why? And, he, and Robert Aldridge said, just go out there and tell her it looks real, real bad. And send her in here, and, and don't give her any hope at all. And I said, why? And he said, just do it. And I said, oh, yes, sir, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Altman, sir. He said, my name's Robert Aldridge. Because <laughs> so, he... He was another producer, Robert Altman, obviously. So I went outside, and Vicky's sitting there, and she says, well, well, well. And I said, well, I'm so sorry, but, you know, it it doesn't look good, Vicky. Oh. She says, oh, shit, shoot. Can I say the other word? Yeah, absolutely. I oh, yeah. What. Shite. Shite. Okay. <laughs> so so I, 
she she walks in with her head down, and I said, I'm so sorry. She said, thanks a lot. Thanks for telling me. So she goes inside, and I'm sitting outside, and I hear inside, I'm going to kill you, Lorraine. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. But it wasn't, it wasn't me that did this. It was Robert Aldrich that told me to do that. A lot of people don't, don't know, you know the backstory behind uh, what happened with that uh, wrestling movie. Well, it just speaks like volumes to your acting too. It's like, oh hey, you got the job. You're a great actress. Now go, now go out there and act a little bit <laughs> yeah. more. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Tear apart somebody's soul before you uh, go out and get this part. That's that's wonderful. That's a little twisted, but I guess you were already good at uh, you know taking the direction. Uh, so that you know that that's a uh, a good quality to have, I guess, right off the bat. Um, well, you know, I was very athletic. You know, I I grew up. Um, I, I I my father never. Yeah, he wanted me never to play, uh, to to go out with guys, yeah. So he, he always uh, insisted I play sports, yeah. So um, uh, my, my, my my mom and dad were always uh, fighting, and my daddy always went back to Canada, so to Toronto. So um, he, knew, he didn't want me going out with guys, boys, when I was young, going to college, high school, anything. So he wanted me to only play sports, yeah. So... Um, I, I excelled in sports and have trophies to prove it, but uh, he didn't want me going out um, and doing anything. And, and, and in retrospect, I'm, I'm glad he did because I never got into any kind of troubles. But that's what happened. That's why, I, you know, my physicality uh, was what propelled me uh, into getting this part to a very large degree. Uh, it wasn't actually too too long after that where you started actually working pretty heavily with Larry Cohen. Um and uh, so I was actually curious how exactly that transition happened and, you know, what kind of cultivated that working relationship. Well, Larry Cohen is my mentor and tormentor. <laughs> okay, so um, when, I, when I did all the marbles, I went right into Eye of the Jury. I started with Armand Asante for uh, Fox. I don't know if you ever heard of that movie. Mm-hmm. Mickey Spillane's Eye of the Jury. I was belled in that movie. But the way I met Larry was very, very strange. Um, uh, an agent at the time, Beverly Heck, had sent me out to the Valley uh, to meet Larry because they were filming some movie called Full Moon High, yeah, out in the Valley. So I went out to the Valley uh, to meet him, and he was in the process of firing the lead actress who was married at the time to George Clooney. And um, so I just showed up with my Inquirer, my star. I, you know, I was just sitting in the, you know, I figured I'd just sit there and wait. And we started talking, and he was absolutely insanely funny out of his mind. And so he thought I was crazy and funny and nuts. So he said, um, you know, I'm I'm firing the the lead girl in this. And I said, you are? And he said, yes, I'm firing her. Do you want to play the lead? And I said, oh, no, I can't. I can't. And he said, what do you mean you can't? And I said, because, uh, I have an audition. He said, I'm giving you the lead in this movie, <laughs> and and you have an audition to go to? And, of course, there was no audition, Scott and Jer. There was no audition at all. I was terrified. Um, so I, I drove home. I zoomed out of there, ran out of there, and said, I have an audition. I'm so sorry. And my agent called me, Beverly Hecht, that night. And she said she gave me the third degree. <clears throat> Pardon me. And she said, uh, you get back on that damn set tomorrow. And I, and I heard what happened, what you did today, what you didn't do. So I said, well, I, I got offered the lead, and I just got scared. And so... Uh, anyway, they hired another girl, jo- Joanne Nail, I believe her nail was, the next day. So uh, I went back two days later. So I, 
<clears throat> Larry wrote a part in the movie where I, I'm the one who sees the werewolf in the movie, Full Moon High, if you've ever seen the film. Um, he wrote that that part in for me, and, and from then on, um, you know, we I've always been interested and attracted to writers because they're so visceral, and not so much actors at all. Because basically, we you know we just memorize lines and get up there and do what we got to do or, or improvise. I'm from the Groundlings Groundlings Theater, so you know I do a lot of improvisation. But but uh, yes, we have worked together a lot over the years. Yeah, I, I was actually uh, in preparation for talking to yourself and Larry. Uh, I rewatched the stuff this past weekend. Uh, you're actually in one of those ads that uh, I gotta say is one of my favorite parts in the movie, besides the special effects and the overall story. Those little uh, pop up ads for the stuff that keep happening throughout the film. Uh-huh. I absolutely love those, and yours was great. Uh, oh, it was in there because um, I thought it was cut out. I believe I, I, it was. I mean, I watched a uh, a bootleg version of the movie because I had a hard time finding it. I uh, know, uh-huh. no, I didn't. I watched it on Shutter, Shutter dot com. Yeah, Are you so, familiar yeah. with that service? No. It's uh, it's uh, like Netflix for horror movies. Yeah, pure horror, and it's uh, curated by people who you know absolutely love the the craft of horror. Um, so it's really it's it's kind of like pure horror. And they actually do a lot of uh, they do like special features and special editions and uncut versions and all this kind of stuff. Um, oh, okay. Um, well, that that that, that um, surprises me because um, they, they shot so much of the footage that they had to cut a lot of us out. Uh, so I I d- didn't think I was in it at all. Um, oh. And I'd like to say I'd like to say something about Larry. He's not listening. <laughs> sure. Thank God. <laughs> so anyway, he's. Uh, He's obviously an icon uh, in the industry. He's, he's been around for 50, 60 years and is still going strong um, and is one of the greatest off-AR tours I've ever met in my life and has what people don't know about him is he is so incredibly, impossibly, <clears throat> pardon me, funny. Um, and there's always a social exegesis to his uh, stories, uh, a social commentary, if you will. Uh, if you go back and see any of his movies, even the stuff, uh, it was about what are you eating it or is it eating you? It was about commercialism, you know. Um, and, and Maniac Cop, the uh, thematic echo was uh, the uh, corruption in the uh, uh, criminal justice system. So there's uh, social commentary in all the films that he's ever made, but most people don't know that. You have to go back and see his films two or three times before you kind of get it. Yeah, Jerry, you were actually saying that earlier today, that uh, as a kid, we, we've seen these movies when we were younger, and now that we've grown mm-hmm. up and watched them again, uh, you noticed this where you didn't originally, as least when yeah. our youth, like yeah, when well, we were but, teenagers, we weren't picking up I, on it I would it say, much. like, when I, I was definitely, like, a, a kid when I saw this stuff. I loved the movie for totally different reasons, and I recently rewatched it, um, and, and then, of course, in preparing for this interview, rewatched some of the other uh, Larry Cohen stuff that had been before, and I was surprised that it does work on multiple levels. It was an interesting, fun movie regardless, but when you when I grew up and actually could understand some of the things that go, are going on around me and could understand the social commentary, there's a whole new level of appreciation that can come from this. So I would uh, implore, implore yeah. everybody to go Jeremy? check those out. Jer- yeah, uh, Jeremiah. Yeah. You sound so much alike. <laughs> I know, it's a little confusing. Uh, are you the same person? We we are the same person. Uh, one of us, <laughs> but, but, but when... when but what, what, whenever, whenever I, uh, uh, it, it's me, Jared talks. I put on a little mu- a fake mustache uh, when I go to talk for Scott. Yeah. <laughs> no, we are, we are two people. I swear, I swear. We'll, we'll take, we'll take a picture together. Not that that proves anything, but uh, uh, and send it to you. No, I saw a picture of you gentlemen online. You're very handsome, both of you. Oh boy, thank you. Very well, much. thank you. We appreciate that. I saw three pictures, three photographs. Um, 
You guys are really hot, really <laughs> handsome guys. Well, we'll take that. Absolutely. Thank and you. we got into a medium that's audio only. <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, speaking of uh, Maniac Cop and those other uh, Larry Cohen horror movies of the 80s that you were in, um, did you know at the time or did you have any inkling that you'd be in these movies that would be timeless and talked about forever? Like, these are now classic, classic movies. Absolutely not. <clears throat> no, no. I had no idea that they would become cult classics. had no idea when uh, 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 Bill Lustig was directing them that, they would have the impact that they have had on the sci-fi world, on uh, the cult uh, genre. Had no idea whatsoever. I mean, h- how could I possibly? How could anybody possibly? But um, most people know me for Hundra, or all the Marvels, or or actually Maniac Cop, um, or or other movies. But those are the three top movies that people recognize me everywhere I go for. Still to this day. Um, and, and say I look exactly the same or I look better because I've lost so much weight intentionally. Because um, for all the marbles, we had to put on a lot of weight, which went into either jury where I, I feel I was I was heavy. Um, but, you know, I, I work out all the time, I run my pit bulls all the time, swim, and drink wheatgrass, tastes like poison, <laughs> and uh, sea cucumber. So... I'm sorry to ramble oh, on. Oh, absolutely. Keep rambling. That's the whole point of an interview. We want to hear you talk. We don't want to be the ones heard. Yeah, we, we talk plenty. That's why. Yeah, we talk too much. Now, I guess if you want to jump forward a little bit, uh, I was recently looking online and I saw the trailer for the movie Sky that's coming out. Or has it has it actually come uh-huh. out to theaters? Do uh, April fifteenth of this year. I, I believe in the U.S. I think it uh, aired at what the uh, a film festival, right? The Toronto um, the film festival uh, late last year, and I believe it's supposed to. And it comes yeah. out on VOD yeah. this year. Toronto International Correct. Film Festival, was, yeah. where I'm from. Uh, it, it 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 was there. Yeah. It played there, and it's basically about a woman named Romy that's played by Diane Kruger, and she's on this uh, holiday with her uh, French husband, played by. Uh, Gilles LaRouche and they're not getting along very well and they're touring the desert and trying to rekindle their relationship but uh, their journey quickly turns into a uh, uh, settling of scores and you know they're like a worn out couple and they constantly fight and he tries to rape her and she kills him with a, a lamp in a motel room or so you think and so she's on the run and she ends up in Las Vegas where she meets me uh, Charlene and I'm a wackadoodle bunny chick um, on on the Las Vegas Strip with two Elvis impersonators on either side of me, you know, t- uh, taking pictures for money to survive. Eh? So um, that's that's how we meet. And I try to teach her how to roller skate because uh, um, uh, I work. I do all kinds of jobs, cleaning jobs, working um, in a, you know in a restaurant, uh, skating backwards roller skating backwards and a bunny girl so I try to train her to be a bunny girl that doesn't work that's a fiasco it doesn't work for her at all neither does the roller skating because she couldn't roller skate her character Romy could not roller skate and so we become best friends and then ultimately lovers and uh, a lot of the film a lot of my stuff was cut out uh, because for political reasons and when I saw it at TIFF I got a standing ovation they brought me up on stage, and Norman Reedus said to the audience, "She was the greatest thing in the film." And 
and the Hollywood Reporter recently said that my performance was astonishing and you wish the entire film was about the That's, that's what I was going to reference uh, actually next is that I've been reading a lot of positive things about the film, but almost everyone calls you out by name when it uh, reacts positively. It's usually saying they wanted more of you. So. Yes. Uh, well, there was a lot more of me in the film, so I was decimated emotionally when I saw it, too. Um, but, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, but, you know, for the Hollywood Reporter, uh, I forget it, John Frosch, Frosch, Frosch I, I don't remember, something like that, uh, put uh, put that in the Hollywood Reporter. I was, I was very, very grateful. And he, I even thanked him on Facebook. I found him on Facebook. And and if I had if I had reprinted what he wrote back to me, um, it was so much more positive and so much more astonishing than what the quote that he he did in the Hollywood Reporter. But because it was a personal email to me, um, I, I naturally it, it, you know it was a, a trust issue. I'm quite sure, so I, I'm not going to repeat what he said. But it was incredibly positive. That's great to hear. It sounds like uh, you've definitely earned that, and I don't know about, you know, in this day and age of deleted scenes and whatnot, if maybe, you know, there's ever a point where after all those accolades, we'll ever be able to see some of that footage, but it is too bad that some of that stuff uh, ended up getting yeah, cut out. Yeah, it picked up by the uh, IFC, and also it's going to be in theaters next month, so um, I'm, I'm very excited about it, and have been asked to do publicity for it, which I've done a little publicity for it, but I've done eight movies in the last year, and I have five more coming up this year. That I'm, I'm stunned at my at my age uh, to uh, be so uh, blessed to be doing. You know, because women over 40, uh, you know, you don't really have a prayer. For instance, for instance, um, I did a film directed by Zoe Cassavetes uh, that's coming out as well, called Day Out of Days, and it's about it's really about women over 40. And God bless uh, God bless Zoe Cassavetes for making a film like this. Uh, um, it's about a 40-year 40 40-year-old 40 actress uh, who tries to make it in the cutthroat industry of Hollywood, while contending with uh, her ever ever youthful competition. And I play this uh, over-the-hill actress that she encounters, and she realizes that she's going to be like this in 10 years if she continues the course that she's going on. And it's played by Alexia Landau, who's an amazing actress. And um, I just. Had a wonderful time working on it, and to work with Zoe Cassavetes, who, who, uh, you know, is is for women. She, you know, she's just a, a champion for uh, women over 40, and uh, she wrote the movie and directed it. And, you know, I was a very big fan of her daddy's, uh, John Cassavetes, who I who I met when I was doing all the Marvels. He used to come and watch me wrestle when uh, Vicky and I would wrestle at the end of at uh, of all the Marvels. Uh, you know, the filming. She would come and. Uh, uh, he would come, John Cassavetes would come and, uh, you know, we'd have this tete-a-tete and goof off and he'd say, always constantly say, you're two frames out of sync. I absolutely love you. You're so insanely funny. So, you know, I had an opportunity to meet her father and she wanted to know the whole backstory about, you know, the things she didn't know. Uh, those little things meant, meant so much to her that she didn't know about her father. And, you know, they were so incredibly close. So to be able to work with Zoe and to have known, have met, have met her father was was uh, quite an honor for me. Oh, it's incredible. It's, a, it's such a small world where you get to work within this profession and meet generationally these different it people is. who all have connections, whether it be siblings, you know, parents, or just, you know, friends and coworkers. Exactly. 
Um, now, speaking of projects, um, I believe you have a certain project you've come here today to talk to us about, a uh, certain comic book. Yes, yes, this is the first time, so it's kind of an exclusive, I suppose, inclusive, exclusive, whatever, um, but it's, it's called, it's something that I came up with about five years ago um, uh, called The Praying Mantis, and it is... Uh, uh, I sent you the photographs. I put one online, and basically, it's about um, uh, it's the pilot storyline is about this guy named Jack McCord, who's been in Afghanistan and has returned from rehab with these prosthetic legs, and the intention of carrying on his life's work as a priest, which he was in Afghanistan when the IED blew up, and so he takes on this uh, decaying parish in a dilapidated Antiluvian church and this crime-ridden section of Washington, D.C., and he, he tries to rebuild his congregation. And one of his main priorities is reaching out to the returning soldiers from Afghanistan and the Iraqi wars who find it nearly impossible to return to, you know, like it is in real life, to meaningful civilian lives. So he feels ostracized, and he's very angry, and he, he suffers from PTSD and um, uh, grievous damage has plagued more of his mind and his body so anyway um he encounters this woman who also whose brother came home from the war who's disappeared so he's um uh the praying mantis uh jack mccord is uh, uh one of the returning soldiers is the brother of this uh the celebrated female racing car driver uh, named uh well she's got a couple of different names because uh anyway she just does <laughs> But her name is Kathleen Blake, and she's a, a NASCAR driver. And she hooks up with uh, Jack McCord because her brother is missing. So the praying mantis makes it his uh, destiny to find her brother. And a lot of other things happen. I mean, there's a lot of twists and turns in this comic book. And I think because of Larry Cohen's name, and you know, he just has hundreds of thousands of fans across the world. And, and you know, we are, are trying to, we've got the book made, you know, the comic book is made, and uh, I sent you the poster, and, uh, you know, we're, we're going to try and uh, see what we can do, uh, publish it possibly ourselves, and anyway, it, it's a fantastic story. I'm, I'm not going to go much more into it. I'd rather Larry talk yeah, to you about it. Please save some surprises, because... too. I'm, I'm interested in reading it myself. Yeah, yeah. I was, I am curious, because uh, you mentioned that it's it's already made, as to whether it's, you're talking about, like, a very specific you know, pilot issue to try to kind of float around, or if this is a, uh, like a, a mini series, or if this is going to be your plan on this being something ongoing? Well, we have the first book completed. It's a limited edition, eh? So uh, we want to see if there is a fan base for it. And we have met with a huge uh, producer. I cannot say his name because he's, he's, got, he's got the comic book and is very, very interested in making it into a feature film. Um, but I'm not going to elaborate any more about that because we don't have an answer yet. Um, but uh, the best way uh, to go is to make it make the comic book, which we have. And um, I'll be very happy to send you both autographed copies of the comic book. Like I say, it's a very limited edition. We don't have many copies right now, um, but we can make copies if we if there's uh, interest in 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 the book you know oh, saying in the comic yeah. book but I, I i'd like larry to talk to you more about it because um you know he he 
he wrote most of the book. It's my concept, my idea. We co-wrote it, but he wrote most of the book himself. Um, I mean, we we wrote it together, but and and he even not it wasn't not my idea, but he made the girl me. The girl is me. Um, she looks like me. Oh, she cool. is me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's quite uh, an honor. Um, it was not my idea at all, but he insisted and and had the artist uh, make the girl look exactly like me. Uh, so, all right. Um, th- now, if anyone's listening and they have interest in purchasing this, uh, where can they find it? Oh, oh, you can. Uh, well, we're going to launch it tonight on my website, which is. Uh, it's not even on my website yet. Uh, that's why I'm telling you, you guys have the exclusive. It's called, my website is Lorene, L-A-U-R-E-N-E, Landon.biz, LoreneLandon.biz, where, where you can uh, purchase a lot of my 8x10 photographs. But uh, starting tonight, uh, we're going to, tonight or tomorrow, we're going to launch uh, also the, the uh, comic book itself. Because as I say, we just finished it. Um and got it out to a few people that have already expressed a major, major interest in it. Um, but uh, we want to see how the comic book does first, and so does one of the head of the st- one of the studios as well. So sounds good. We'll make sure to put a link to that site on our webpage. So yeah. anyone listening, if you go to the Lost Podcast dot com, uh, there'll be a link there as well to Greenland.biz. So and uh, if you want to pick up this book, you can find it there. Um, now, before we end our interview, uh, we're going to do an abbreviated version of our normal 10 questions that have never been asked to you uh, in an interview before. We're going to uh-huh. run through five of them right now. Just kind of rapid okay. fire. Uh, curi- these are more curiosities. It didn't quite make the grade for official questions, but we're just kind of, these are little curiosities people might want to know. Um, and okay. I guess I'll, uh, I'll start out with one um, uh, that I've always been curious when we talk to people in the film industry is, uh, are there any actors, directors, or other players in the film industry that you wish you could work with that you haven't yet worked with? Absolutely. Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy? Perfect. Tom Hardy, I think, is the absolute greatest actor in the history of our generation or any generation. I think I knew Marlon Brando very, very well. He, I used to call him Pop because I used to uh, live with his son, Christian Brando, uh, for many, many years. Um, he even got the gun at my house that night, May 16, 1990. I don't know if you, you guys were probably, well, before your parents were born, this happened, un- undoubtedly. But um, and I think Tom Hardy uh, got completely ripped off. Uh, he should have been, I don't know if you saw Legend, but he played the Craze Brothers, the Mafia Craze Brothers from uh, the U.K. Uh, from the 70s. And, you know, he played diametrically opposed roles, and they were twin brothers. He was absolutely astonishing. I've seen everything he's ever done, and he's absolutely my favorite uh, actor uh, of all time, even of Brando. And I love Brando, and our tastes and talent were interchangeable. And I'm sure uh, Marlon would have said the same thing. Uh, he looks exactly like Marlon, if you can believe that. He looks exactly like Marlon Brando, but oh, his range his range is 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 off the charts. And um, James Cagney was another favorite of mine, um, and Marlon Brando, of course. But those those are you asked who my favorite actors were? <laughs> uh, just uh, who you would have loved to have worked with uh, that you haven't worked with yet. So it sounds like you had something right in like right in the chamber, ready to go. So. 
Uh, glad to hear well, that. Well, I, I wasn't even thinking that. I mean, I didn't even know this is extemporaneous, the questions you're asking me, so I didn't even know. But Tom Hardy comes to mind because he's absolutely my favorite actor, and I cannot believe he's not a superstar. I know he people are starting to know him, but I've been a fan of his for the last 10 years. Uh, do, you, do you have a favorite role that you uh, of his that you've seen, just for people who might not be as familiar, what they, uh, what they should go and check out first? The Take. Um, the, the series take. he did, um, I think, it was on the BBC. The Take. He plays a, mo- a mobster. Okay. Um, any anything he's in, I mean, is is unbelievable. I've seen everything Very he's ever man. done. Wonderful. All right. Um, moving on to number two. Uh, what is your favorite horror movie? My favorite horror movie. Wow. Um, Gone with the Wind. <laughs> for horror? I'm I'm joking. <laughs> I told you guys I'm crazy. Where's your sense I, of humor? I I know I I got the sense of humor. I wanted to make, I wanted to make okay, sure that I'm joking. I, I wanted, My favorite <laughs> horror movie is uh, The Sound of Music. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that uh, that we were we were understanding the joke and that we just didn't just totally miss the point of Gone with the Wind. Actually. Like, wait a minute, did we not get it? Oh, geez. My favorite movie of all time, uh, horror movie, believe it or not, is the original The Thing. Did you ever see the original The Thing? The black yes. and white one? The it's it's one of the yeah. uh, it's a great movie. Not the one with Kurt Russell. No, the, the one no, prior no. to that with the, 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 uh, yeah. the wasn't it a plant-based creature in the black and white version? Yes, yes, yes. James Arness. James Arness. And it's alive, of course. I loved it's alive. That's that's, a, that's yeah. uh, uh my father and I when we when I was very young, um my daddy and I watched uh It's Alive and my father was obsessed with that movie. And I didn't know Larry. Of course, I was a child. And uh, later on in life, I met him. And my father uh, was, it, it was, it was the greatest joy in his life, I think, that, that he met his, you know, that he met his hero. And he, he had that, he had that chance to meet um, somebody that he never really had a chance, you know, because we, we grew up poor, like most people grew up poor. But my, my father... My father always wanted to meet the man who created it's alive, and it, and it was Larry. That's very touching. That's amazing, though, um, to 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 be able to bring something like that to somebody you care about so much that wouldn't ha- otherwise have that opportunity because of something that you've been a part of. Yeah. Um. All right. So uh, we'll 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 move back into the subject of comic books. Actually, here and maybe uh, uh, I don't know how much into comic books you've been before, but everybody knows the realm pretty well. Do you have a favorite comic book character? Um, favorite comic book character. You know something? No. Larry's really into comic books. He read them when he was little. He loves comic books, so he can elaborate more about that. But um, I'm really not into uh, comic books that much at all. I never have been. Um, um, I just think there's too much verisimilitude to Mm -hmm. all the comic book characters, you know. They're all so similar. You know, good against evil, and uh, ultimately, good prevails, and so forth. Um, that's why we kind of wanted to do something a little different with our comic book, and make it patriotic, uh, make it uh, a lot of different twists and turns. And you know, he's kind of an he's an anti-hero, which some of the comic book characters are anti-heroes. But there's a lot there's a lot of twists and turns in the comic book, and it's only like 23 pages, 25 pages, I believe. But, um, you know, we're, t- we're trying to do something different w- with our book. So, like I say, he can, <clears throat> pardon me, he can tell you a lot more about about uh, the comic book end of it. 
Yeah, okay. Okay. and so I'm gonna I'm gonna put you down for praying mantis for that one, just as a uh, shameless self plug for you. Um, and uh, <laughs> but I, I was actually gonna I was gonna mention that too, at least is that, um, and we'll touch uh, on on this uh, with Larry as well, is that it seems like these are are different from when you know asking about comic book characters. A lot of people think comic book, and they immediately think what you see from the Marvel universe and these you know big blockbuster films and everything, and that's how a lot of people get to know them of superheroes. And you know you're telling these uh, very you know. Not that those don't have, you know, some subtext, some story to them, but you're telling more sophisticated, more social commentary-based uh, stories and, and the stuff that you're putting out. Oh, definitely. Well, that's because of Larry. You know, we uh, because because of the social commentary he makes in, in his films, um, as we discussed earlier, uh, a lot of people see his movies for the first time, and they're not just horror movies. He, 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 I don't know why people think he's a horror director. He's a suspense director. Always has been, always will be. Well, and like, he, Hitchcock, like, like uh, Hitchcock, yeah. Yes, he knew, he knew uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock was his mentor. I'm sure he will tell you. All right, um, number four. Uh, having lived in Hollywood, tell us, who throws the wildest parties? Who throws the wildest parties? Um, <clears throat> you know, you're asking the wrong person because uh, I don't go to Hollywood parties. Um, I go to all the Academy uh, luncheons and, and dinners and all that nonsense, you know, the campaigning, as it is, as it's called, or right. what I call it. Um, but I I don't go to Hollywood parties. I, I kind of went to a few um, when I was younger, when I was young, but, you know, and they weren't the orgies. I, I think you're hoping I, I will talk about <laughs> We yeah, just wanted to hear about an orgy. that <laughs> never happened in my lifetime. Oh. But, you know, I... I, uh, I, I I'm not into I'm not into Hollywood so much. I I uh, moved to Harvard Heights. I do not live in Hollywood at all. I bought a historical monument uh, about four years ago. Yeah, and because I love antiques, uh, antediluvian anything. Because I'm an antique, but I I, I bought a house uh, called the Lucy E. Wheeler House, and it's a historical monument. It's a craftsman home, and. Every other week, I get people uh, leaving on the doorstep letters saying, "Last week it was mocking, mocking bird productions want to film there." Um, you know, everybody wants to film in this house because it is so creepy, it is so scary, and it has a drawbridge going to the basement. Yeah, and you have to open, pull open a draw a bridge, uh, a door, and a drawbridge opens up. It was built, the house was built in 1904. It was completed in 1905, and it is really spooky. It has, <laughs> I, I know there's the ghost of the former owner, Marty, who passed away in the house. And when uh, I bought the house, I said up uh, to the guys, the uh, realtors, this is so weird. I said to the guys that uh, showed me the house, and I said, did somebody die in this room upstairs? It was a particular room upstairs, eh? And they said, no, uh, but somebody did die in this house. How did you know that? I said, I have, somebody died in this room. And they said, no, uh, somebody died here, yeah. But in the front room where the office is, which now turns out to be my bedroom, uh, it's two bedrooms, actually. The door was broken down in 1917. So on, online, the house is, I think, 26 or 27 hundred square feet, but in 1917, there were additions made to the house upstairs and additions made to the house downstairs all the way back. So the, the property is, is huge. Um, and I spend most of the time upstairs in one room. All the dogs, all my pit bulls have their own room. My cats have their own room. And it's kind of ridiculous, but 
uh, I love the house. And anyway, um, they said, no, somebody died in the, in the front room in the office. Uh, and I said, no, they died in this room. And they said, no, no, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Anyway, when I got the house, uh, I happened to meet the, uh, about six, eight months later, the brother of um, Martin, the gentleman that passed away, wanted to meet me. So I met him, and he came to the house, and and I asked him, I said, uh, was your brother gay? And he said, how did you, yes, how did you know that? I said, I, I have a feeling, I don't know, I just have a feeling he was gay. And he said, what else do you know? And I said, can you come upstairs with me? And he said, sure. So he wanted to see upstairs anyway, what I'd done to the house. Uh, you have to keep the house, uh, you know, in its original form, yeah? Because it's a historical monument. You're not allowed to bang a damn nail on the wall, period. Right. Um, so he came upstairs to the second bedroom, and I said, I hate to ask you this, um, but did, did, did your brother die in this room? And he says, how could you know that? How did you know that? I said, was there a bed right here? He said, yes. I said, did his head land here when he died? And he said, that's exactly where his head landed. How could you possibly know this? Whoa. I said, I have to be, every time I come through this room, the house is always warm, but when I go through this particular room, it always feels like the air is being pushed down and the room is very, very cold. And, and his brother said, yes, he, he died in this room. And I said, did he die of a stroke? And he said he died of a stroke. And I didn't wow. even know it. I didn't even know anything. I told the same story that I'm telling you that I told the brother uh, when I went through the house. I just, you know, I just had this feeling. Um, I'm Maybe because I'm Pisces, yeah? And maybe because of that? Nobody knows the story. I don't even know why I'm telling you the story. I don't know how this started. But... <laughs> We were asking about uh, wild Hollywood parties, but I'm glad that we got a really, uh, we, uh, we uh, like a totally like a bonus uh, ghost story out of it. We're... Oh, I had a big Hollywood party. <laughs> I had a big Hollywood party at the house for my movie Syndicate Smasher that I just finished. Um, I just finished starring in that. Uh, we, um, and anyway, I had a, a party for 150, 170 people in the house. And I'd say 80% of the people said, this house feels so strange. So, is it haunted or something? Isn't that isn't that odd? A lot of the, even the people that oh, came. Oh yeah, you can get uh, you can get that feeling. I've definitely gotten that feeling from places where you just walk in, you're like, Ugh, something's uneasy about this place. Before, uh, you know, I've 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 gotten those plenty of places, and we live in you know a place with uh, in New England where there's plenty of uh, older buildings that are you know commonly reused. They don't really tear a lot of stuff down. So you end up uh, going into certain rooms and just kind of get an uneasy feeling. Um, oh yeah, and it's a green and green house. You know, G-R-E-E-N-E, -E -E, Green and Green. From the Green and Green, Henry and Charles Green, they were the brothers from the 1800s, late 1800s, and they built all the Green and Green homes in uh, Pasadena, yeah? So, and this is the only Green and Green home in Los Angeles, and I happen to own it, so I'm very, very grateful that I own this this house. I could not possibly have afforded it, yeah? Um, at the time, it was a million dollars, but because of the, the, the housing market uh, that was so bad, I was uh, able to afford it uh, about four and a half years ago. Otherwise, I, I would not, of course, been able to get it. Um, so, 
appreciate the extra little ghost story there. Um, that was totally unexpected, but uh, absolutely appreciated and perfect for the show. Um, I do have uh, one more final question. This one's actually based on, uh, we don't really know much about the Praying Mantis because you just barely started talking about it. But just out of curiosity, if the Praying Mantis were to be made into a film, uh, who would you like to see as the lead? What the hell kind of question is that? <laughs> I know, we just, we just barely, we're so greedy. We're just like, okay, all right, all right it's okay. More, we don't more. Even, we don't even have well, a Who's my favorite actor, guys? Tom yeah, Hardy. Yeah, I know, I know, I, I know. I saw the it coming second, from a mile the away. The second we got done that one, I'm like, should we even remove this one? Come on, yeah. Nah, we already uh, had it written. We're yeah. just gonna, we're just gonna drive right through. <laughs> yeah, we just, oh, <laughs> just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Um, That's all right. who I would want to play, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. I, of course I could, he won't, I get but it, yeah. you never yeah. know, right? Oh, yeah. absolutely. You yeah, never it's, know. it's early. Yeah, maybe the you know the praying mantis will get a bunch of people interested, and it'll take off. It'll be a well. Huge, he was, deep you story, know, he so. was in um, he he was in uh, Mad Max or or Mad Maxine, as I call it, because uh, <laughs> he wasn't in it very much. Um, Charlize Theron had had the 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 best part, of course, in it. I call it Mad Maxine, but um, you know, he'd he'd be my ultimate choice. Yeah, he seems like he. I, I don't even know much about the story of the praying mantis, obviously, other than what you've told. But it sounds like uh, he would kind of be just a, a tight fit for just about anything he put his mind to. Uh, he can do mind, anything. So. I mean, and I have seen a lot of stuff, so I absolutely agree there as well. Um, <sighs> so that uh, that wraps up the five questions and the interview uh, as a whole. Actually, uh, we just wanted to say thanks again, Laureen, for sitting down discussing all of this stuff with us, um, and of course giving us that nice reveal on this new project. Once again, we want everybody to go out to. Um, your website LoreenLandon.biz yep and they can find that link on lostathomepodcast.com we'll go straight to LoreenLandon.biz and, uh, and and pick that up uh, go to your shop and pick up some other good stuff there as well I actually did go to your website in pre preparation for the show so you can get other stuff um, there as well so uh, once again Loreen thank you very much for sitting down with us and answering uh, some of our random questions and just going off on some fun tangents with us thank you so very much for having me on your show and I absolutely love your show and listen to it all the time thank you thank very you much. very much we much appreciated all right thanks again to Loreen Landon for sitting down with us that was uh quite an interesting interview that's for sure we had uh we learned a lot and we just had a great time talking um been in a lot of those great movies that we enjoyed growing up and uh really looking forward to that new project that's for sure absolutely uh and for anyone out there uh who heard about sky in the interview we would encourage you to go to youtube and check out the trailer for it it's a really fine looking film yeah all right, uh, I guess at this point we're going to move into a very abbreviated version of Web Droppings. Web Dropping. And for our first Web Dropping this week, we are going to stay pretty local. Uh, we don't get a whole lot of Vermont stories, being no, the no. Uh, slow, kind of boring state that it is. But um, this one comes out of our Burlington, Vermont, where a local law has changed, allowing for the first time people over the year of or the age of 21 to be able to wear masks in public legally that's right apparently it was i had no idea there was an issue with this uh apparently no there's idea. a local local ordinance uh which is a ban on uh people over 21 wearing masks in public and i'm guessing they chose the 21 i don't know for uh it's weird usually you aren't allowed to do something until you're 21 or 18 in this case the second you turn 18 to 21 or in this case 21 you are all of a sudden barred from doing something and apparently it was because like i don't know people who wear masks are suspicious or something i and guess i think it's, maybe it's they were thinking weird, ski masks and stuff but the people who got it overturned were furries 
Yeah, uh, uh, and I didn't even know we had a furry community in Vermont at all. Not strong enough to get a, uh, a local ordinance overturned in Burlington. So, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, no I can see them like peppered in here and there and going, but it sounds like there is enough to have their own convention. So, uh, uh, I, you know, kudos to the furry community for getting this, uh, what the ACLU considered was a kind of a violation of the First Amendment, which is sort of true of like saying that you're not allowed to wear, uh, you know, a, a mask in public or a certain thing. It's one thing if you want to go and try to, I understand why you can't get into bars with masks. I you know, because they had to check your IDs, such like that. Why you might be like considered suspicious if you wandered into a, uh, a gas station with a ski mask or something, but they're just saying masks period. And that people weren't allowed to use them. It's just a little bit, it was a little bit of a ridiculous ordinance by the sounds of it. Um, it may not be completely away. And there's still some concerns about it, especially from the ACLU of how, uh, how it's going to be treated because apparently it was kind of it's weird it was done as this weird way of profiling where like if you wear a mask you're uh, and that's the other thing too is I'm pretty sure the furries weren't the ones that were getting targeted it was I'm guessing people wearing certain types of masks that seemed suspicious oh, sure. but at the same time a mask is a mask so these you know you, you gotta you, you gotta follow the law regardless and it was a way apparently for uh, they're, they're afraid people are still going to get profiled because they can still get questioned for wearing a mask, and really, they're like, well, if you if you have to detain them for questioning when they haven't done anything wrong, then that technically that's not uh, that, that's like against the law and against somebody's actual constitutional rights. So uh, there are some additional issues on this, and uh, it might be revisited down the line. But yeah, now, what worries me the most here is that last year you and I attended Vermont Comic Con. We were tabling there as the Lost Stone Podcast, and we were surrounded by people cosplaying in Burlington. That's true, yeah. And, Techni- and technically, is, we were surrounded by criminals. <laughs> well, I, I feel like, and that's what, well, while they were on, on site and on the Sheridan property or wherever it was, Sheridan, I believe, like, they was fine because it's private property. But the second they stepped out to, like, Church Street or something, if they went out on the town like that with their mask and stuff, then technically they were probably breaking the law. I mean, granted, there are a lot of people who weren't 21, but there was just as many, if not more, people who are 21 and older that go to these Comic-Cons. Oh, so, yeah, and thinking back on it now, there were actually several furries. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember seeing uh, was it like a giant panda or something? Yeah, we probably at one point saw all of the members of the group that got this bill overturned. That's right. Yeah, well, you know, way to go for that because honestly, it's I, I was surprised this was, I didn't know it was a thing. I guess I don't wear a mask and I'm to. I'm guessing it was also rarely. It was one of those laws on the books, or I should say ordinances, you know, on the books, local laws that. Um, uh, was pretty much in place for a very select slices where it wasn't being enforced in 99% of the cases. Like if you're actually out wearing a furry costume or just having a good time with a little cosplay mask, they're probably, even when it was against the law, were not like frisking you and well, it, it, taking you back to the you know slammer or whatever, whatever they're allowed to do. Um, uh, I'm I, guessing I wanna... it was very specific for very specific types of, of masks. Uh, but I want to see the uh, the B-movie version of the story of how this happened. I want to see it Logan's Run style where these furries are ever closer to getting 21 and know they can't wear their masks anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally a Logan's Run situation they're, where they're like counting it down. It's literally, let's just do redo Logan's Run with furry masks and that's it. In Burlington. Like, yeah, and then just slightly reword it so they're like, yeah. Clearly, they're getting killed not for getting older for that reason, but they're, you know, getting stalked because they want to wear their mask. They're running from the law yeah. and trying to evade. Yeah, uh, that's classic. Good old Logan's run. That uh, could be a great indie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's work on that one. 
Um, uh, so yeah, kudos to the furry community for getting this overturned. Uh, hopefully it stays that way. Uh, I think a lot of people just didn't even know until it popped up in seven days. I didn't know this was even a thing. So I'm you sure know, a lot of other people were there with us. Okay, here's one last question then. Do you think they looked this up purposely to see if it was an old-timey law, like don't spit on the sidewalk kind of law? Or do you think one of them was harassed for doing it by the law? Well, I'm, I'm guessing the latter. Um, or or maybe just somebody somehow became aware of the law based on the, that fact that they knew somebody who was harassed. And maybe it was for, uh, I don't want to say a legitimate reason, but um, it was not necessarily furry related. Um, but they realized it could apply to them, but they also realized it was, uh, it was just, it was not a, a constitutional law. Um, you know, shitting on my first amendment rights for, I want to wear a fucking furry costume, man. Let me do it. There's, hey, uh, people love it. You know what? Speaking of shitting on things. Yeah. Yeah. That's let's, a great segue. Uh, let's move into our next story. <laughs> Here's the thing is I could say shitting on something and in 90% of our stories, that's going to be a great segue. <laughs> Uh, it's it's a safe bet for us when, when it comes to that because you know every once in a while we talk about poop and this is more of an update to a story actually. This is we had a story not even two weeks ago where uh, we discussed Hitler's genitalia at length or lack thereof. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, in addition to those not so startling facts, we now have uh, a new wrinkle in the case. According to a declassified top-secret spy dossier, uh, Hitler has been revealed to, in addition to the owner of a micro-penis, he is a you coprophiliac. Like he, he just bought one, like, at a yard sale. Like, oh, I'll take that <laughs> micro-penis. And he always has it, like, over his mantle slightly. You gotta, like, get really close to find out what it is. It's framed. The worst haggler ever. <laughs> <laughs> How much you pay for that micro-penis? Uh, too much, I guarantee you. Fucking... <laughs> It's always uh, too shitty, much. shitty haggler. Anyway, continue. So yeah, a coprophiliac is someone who is turned on by feces. Um, basically, the idea is that it had become well known within certain inner circles that he enjoyed having a woman crouch over his mouth and defecate into it. Uh, one of his uh, uh, lackeys, if you will, uh, had claimed at one point that it was actually his niece that he either enjoyed it from or wanted it from oh that makes it the, worse the, the details over uh over history are a little muddy <laughs> butt mud <laughs> butt muddy <laughs> mud mud butt mud butt butt mud it's poop <laughs> there we go yeah. and and it's not like this is coming from one singular source apparently someone has been looking into more and more of his sexual activities since the last story broke uh which wasn't even a super current story it was one of those stories that had happened before and now resurfaced because internet yeah and, and and of course it spread all over the place just like uh just like hitler likes poo spread all over his uh dirty dirty face i knew that was was a shit mustache there's no way you get that kind of mustache without it just being a dabble of shit and you oh, woke up one day and it was there sanchez uh yeah yeah and I, so, I feel like what happened is it happened one day and it was like hey hitler you got some shit on your lip there and he's like no it's a mustache it's a very nice mustache and then then he had to grow a mustache that looked like a dollop of shit on his lip luckily it was easy to do he had fertilizer yeah that's how things grow right all things grow with fertilizer 
Yeah, yeah. So if you shit on your lip, you get a mustache. Tell that to a bunch of like fucking previous and <laughs> boys who are trying to grow up that sweet fucking uh, stash, and they get those two little, you know, little, you know. We we all tried it. We all tried. My it. We God, all failed. that would be like the best viral lie if you could actually get that to catch on. <laughs> get, like if you spread shit all over your face, your fucking uh, facial hair will grow out. It'd be great if it turned out to be true, and then uh, you know at least that way you could also feel like, well, we got, you know, we got preteen boys to put shit on their face but at the same time they got something out of it so we yeah. can't feel that bad so you can not even that add feel like at about. least two or three new kinds of slang to the lexicon just from that alone i think so like, i think like, we could like, probably like, start some up like nice sanch yeah yeah oh sweet sanch man yeah yeah you got a sweet sanch yeah uh that's Ooh. that's nice um, i wish we could just add sanch somehow in any other regard let's work sanch. on that yeah all right let's work on it's, getting it's sanch. not a bad word Let's look. We're gonna. It's got a nice little uh, like a punch to it. It does. Like it, it, does. it could. It, it, it's like yeah, nice sanch. Oh man, it's a, it's, it's aggressive. It. It's aggressive, but not mean. Yeah, exactly. Like you. Like it sounds cool. It's like uh, it, it. It's it's fun enough where like you and your bros be like, yeah, man, I sanched that. Oh, nice sanch. Uh yeah. It's, I guess those are the two ways you could use it. I guess I reused them all up, but or uh, or a really douchey way to name a sandwich. Sanch. Yeah. Actually, yeah, where you just remove most of like yeah, most syllables. Of the word. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm gonna go eat a sandwich. <laughs> Those fucking guys. Those fucking guys, man. No, that's the one way you can't use it. All right, we gotta take back the sandwich, folks. The Unless fucking sandwich. The sandwich truncators now are fucking trying to take our word, and we gotta take it back, man. Take back the sandwich. Take back the sandwich. <laughs> all right, somebody say sandwich. I'm fucking starving. No, get out of here. Uh, I feel like that word could spread virally through Boston and New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> hey, what's wrong with Sanchez? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, uh-huh. I had a dirty Sanchez once. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, okay. we've talked about poop for a little while. Definitely long enough. Um, I guess we could go out this week on mentioning our next interview, which is also That's a bit right. of a surprise. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a surprise, but we're at least announcing it a week ahead of time. And, uh, we're pretty excited about this one because we did not expect to get it, just like we didn't expect to la- get the last one. But they're related, um, and uh, and actually, you know, by the time we talk to Laureen, we may have already teased the fact that we're going to be talking to uh, Mr. Larry Cohen. Um, I think the the name should sound pretty familiar to folks. Uh, if I mean, it, if it sounds familiar, it's because it is familiar, and if you IMDb it, you will know absolutely why in a heartbeat. Um, uh, for instance, Larry Cohen, he is uh, responsible for Columbo, The Fugitive, NYPD Blue. Uh, the Invaders, Hell Up in Harlem, Black Caesar. The Stuff, It's Alive, It Lives Again, It's Alive 3. The entire Maniac Cop series, Cue the Winged Serpent, A Return to Salem's Lot, Body Snatchers. Phone Booth, Cellular, and Captivity, and that's just a little snippet. And when I say responsible for, I mean uh, writer, writer slash director, producer, director. all these. Yeah, he's he's directed a number of these. He's written uh, most of these, I think. And uh, mm-hmm. he's done, there's so much other stuff he's done. This is like a drop in the bucket. We just had to bring out a couple of the, the heavy hitters so people are like, oh, that's why I understand the name. There's a cool documentary coming out about him. Um, you've got to talk a little bit more about that uh, project that Laureen Landon was talking about at the end of it, um, kind of give us a little more detail on that yep, the new and, comic uh, book praying mantis yep that's gonna be uh 
which once again, uh, actually, I guess that's probably the last little piece is just once again remind everybody to go to our website and look for that uh, uh, LaurieLandon.biz uh, link or go straight to LaurieLandon.biz to uh, pick that up in her shop. Also pick up any of the other cool stuff there. Uh, as you can tell, she's an awesome person. Uh, it's got a lot of cool things to talk about and totally, uh, I'm really looking forward to the praying mantis stuff. So yep, absolutely. Sounds good. Uh, with that, uh, I am, uh, pretty much ready to, ready to wrap this up, Mr. Scott. Sounds good. Let's, uh, let's close it out. Have a good week guys. Grace.